Hey, everyone. Welcome to episode number 36 of the Lift Free and Diet Hard podcast. I'm your host, Andrew Coates. I just got finished recording number 35 with uh, Dr. Tim DeFrancesco, who hopefully you've already listened to. So a week later, here I am with my friend Sarah Ashman. Now, Sarah's been a previous guest. She's been on twice, and but it's been a long time, so it's great to get you back. And for anyone who is newly finding Sarah, uh, she's a registered dietitian, also holds an MBA. Uh, you're based in Kansas City, where I met you in 2017 at the uh, Fitness Summit in Kansas City, which is still, to this day, one of my favorite events in the industry. So uh, it's great to have you back. And what have you been up to? Yeah, thanks. Thanks, Andrew. Um, wow. So I've been up to a lot in my, um, my, I guess, my career in general since the last time I was on. Um, I've really kind of dialed back my kind of private practice, uh, as far as patients that I see, I take, you know, some referrals from a few coaches and trainers and like a therapist or two that I know. Um, but I've really kind of dialed that back because my full-time job has gotten really, really busy. Um, I transitioned a few years ago from, um, clinical educator at the laboratory I work for, which is where I started out in that company. And I'm now the director of marketing. Um, I've been sort of building that up. That was a recent promotion for me um, towards the end of that last year. And we were talking about how, um, you know, 2020 was a bad year in general, and it was a weird year, but like lots of good things also happened to some people. And that was one of them was I got a promotion and a raise. Um, so that's what I've been doing. And that's been super busy. I mean, the, the lab itself has been flourishing um, just, you know, with everything going on, I, I've, seen so much transition and transformation happening. And, um, I I've been sort of just sitting here watching it like excitedly because transformation is so painful, right? Like a lot of the things we all went through last year was incredibly painful and uncomfortable. Um, but I liken it to sometimes you have to tear things down in order to create a foundation to build something better. So let's hit on a note that I think is actually important. You know, we, we, get all this negative media. I mean, yes, it's been a really, really fucked up year. We get tons of negativity in media and media shares sensational stuff that gets you to click and they play upon fear and anger. And, you know, I'm not going to get to the political side, but both sides of, you know, what we call a social ideological political spectrum, both mm -hmm. engage in fear and anxiety and anger inducing media. And this is also the stuff that people share. So it feels like it's everywhere. It's outrage porn. It's outrage porn. Absolutely. In enragement. I love that word. But within that, a lot of people that I know in the industry have had good years. I've had a really, really wonderful career year. And I think we feel sort of guilty or like we're supposed to suppress or hide that for fear of waving it out in front of someone who's not had such a great year. Guess what? That's a really good point. That's a really good point, Andrew. Um, I have felt that. And I would never rub my success in somebody's face ever. Like that's just not the kind of person I am. But I've also found myself sort of like pulling back on celebrating some of my own personal successes because I have close friends or family who experienced loss, right? Um, I mean, I experienced loss. I'm not gonna say that I didn't have, you know, bad things happen, but um that's that's a really interesting observation until and until you said that I hadn't really like verbalized it but like yeah those of us who experience successes almost feel bad or guilty about talking about those things and I don't know why that is like we shouldn't we should never feel bad about the successes that we have in our life anybody should never 
feel that. I'll, so. And I'll take it one step further. And I've been deliberately doing this with a lot of my media. This year has been a big year for writing for new publications. A lot of really cool stuff has happened professionally. And I've tried, my social media went from, you know, not a real presence to having a much, much larger following. And I've been trying to leave a roadmap. And a lot of the stuff I've been doing with my media is to encourage and show other coaches this stuff. Here's how to do it. Here's um, what can happen if you put in the effort. Right. And if anyone reaches out to me, I'm like, I will always answer those kind of questions. So if anything, there is value in showing people, listen, guys, like you really can take advantage of these opportunities that will present themselves. Mm -hmm. And everything in the world right now is not doom. It is not blue. We will bounce out of it. And as the world continues to bounce out of it, the people who on your media who want to share enragement porn and the, the media itself, mainstream media, and I'm, I'm not getting into this whole like fake news type stuff. I'm not playing that narrative game, but it's just media that is, yeah. we, we need to know. They're all the same. Yeah, we need to remember that this is how media works, right? And it's more common now than it was, you know, a generation ago. So recognize it for what it is and then realize that you are being shown more negative things. And you maybe are also choosing to follow and engage with the people who are sharing more and more of this negativity. Look for right. the positive stuff and don't be afraid. Maybe part of us suppressing our good news is hiding more and, and collectively how many people are hiding the fact that there's been a lot of good within this year right and maybe suppressing all that collectively is making everybody think it's significantly worse than it really was and I don't in any way downplay the challenges and the struggles that a lot of people in my own industry have had but I've also seen a lot of people doing really really well and I don't think we should have to hide it well and I think to that point um I think that last year separated people in many different ways, right? A lot of us became more divided. Um, but in one way I've observed is some people took the pandemic and the lockdowns and the like restrictions on their life and they like curled up in a ball, buried their head in the sand and were like, holy shit, right? And they froze. And then some people took it and they were like, okay, I got all this time on my hands. How am I going to make myself better? And then they started looking inward and like introspectively changing. And then it was that sort of personal spiritual transformation of like, am I on the right path in life? Where am I going? Do I even like where I'm at? Like, who are these people around me? And we all started, you know, picking apart our lives in good ways. Like we started changing ourselves. And then now we're reaping the benefits of becoming better people. And I I feel like that should be celebrated. Anybody who went through some sort of significant personal transformation because of the events of last year, and you're now seeing the successes of those seeds that you planted, um, that's beautiful. I feel like that should be shared because again, out of like destruction comes something new. Um, and so perhaps 2020 was the like forest fire of the world, right? And now like, all of that, like ash is like fertilizing, you know, soil to grow better things. So um, I, don't, I, I tend to be an optimist. If somebody listening isn't, I'm sorry. sorry I, don't not this, I don't think this is a podcast to listen to if you are a, a dire pessimist. Mm -hmm. There's a concept within what you just said that is encapsulated in a book I love called uh, Anti-Fragile by Nassim Nicholas Taleb. If it, I hope by now a lot of people are familiar with Taleb. And if you're reading Taleb, he's a pompous, arrogant ass who likes to remind you as a reader that he's smarter than you. 
but he has a lot of really great ideas and he's actually a good read. So I enjoy his books. Just don't go anywhere near his social media because he's a clown. <laughs> Gotta be honest about it. But within the book, Anti-Fragile, he talks a lot about, you know, how as a whole, an industry, and he'll mention the, the restaurant industry, they got really hammered this year. And yeah. the industry will be the same. Businesses, oh, noise outside. I'm getting work done on the house. Um, but businesses will always fail. Individual businesses will always fail. But as a collection, the industry as a whole gets stronger as it innovates. And COVID, yeah. this pandemic, Absolutely. only forced everybody's hand to be more and more aggressive in innovating. And yeah. It's, it's, yeah, it's survival of the fittest, sure. And that sucks for anybody who was in a position where they just weren't able to pivot. But right. collectively, the fitness industry is going to be a lot stronger, more innovative, and will have adapted mm-hmm. uh, just because of everything here. Well, and it's like that book, Change or Die, right? It's a similar concept, um, which is a great book, by the way. Um, the company I work for is a laboratory. And when COVID hit, we saw ordering volume drop off precipitously. And it was rapid. And we had an oh shit moment. And that forced us, like, we're an extremely innovative and disruptive like force in our industry, but that even forced us to go, all right, what can we do differently? We validated new collection methods so people could take, you know, um, finger prick blood drop collections. They don't have to go get their blood drawn because nobody was drawing blood for a while. Um, we created an entire e-commerce platform that we're getting ready to launch to help small practices, you know, operate virtually and market their things to people online better. And I mean, like, so like we took that and we were like, all right, challenge accepted, right? Um, in the midst of all of that chaos, we all were just like, are we going to have jobs? You know what? Fuck it. Let's just go with this. Right. And I feel like sometimes in those situations, that's really the only attitude to have is like, all right, fuck it. Let's change. Right. Because if you don't, you are going to fall behind. And I saw so many businesses close this year. Like some of my favorite restaurants locally, some of my favorite small businesses could not adapt and um, either they were in an industry that was so obsolete, perhaps, or they just couldn't figure it out or they didn't do it fast enough. Um, I mean, that, that, and it's so sad to see that happen. I don't celebrate that in any way, um, but you did, you did see those examples of people who came up with really innovative ways to keep their doors open and that's beautiful. The, um, the original gym chain that uh, I got my job with a little over 10 years ago just announced I mean, technically, not exactly bankruptcy, but essentially, they're basically. I saw your post. Was that a result of COVID or just other it, forces? It, well, let's cut the shit. Um, they claim that it was a result of COVID. Now, I have this information based on publicly available documents. They were $110 million in debt Ooh. off of $20 million in annual revenue. Mm. So they already were in a big hole. So right. they were one of these businesses that a lot of trainers, my, like myself and a lot of my friends who've all left the company, there was a mass exodus over the years. Mm-hmm. We knew that the writing was on the wall five to six years ago, right? The entrance of bigger, big players like LA Fitness coming into our fitness space, uh, Good Life expanding, and just general trends, the way that this company had dealt with its employees and, and some of the attitudes and the cultures within. And I don't want to get into anything that's more specific, but there, I, I saw a lot of problematic things at the point where eventually it pushed me into leaving. Best move I ever made in my career. Mm-hmm. And so this, yeah, did the third wave of lockdown that we had again just recently uh, for the gyms, did that, you know, was that final straw? Sure it was, but this didn't, it just accelerated a trend. It did not take okay. a 
strong, financially viable company with a great culture and suddenly throw them into turmoil and wipe them out. They were very much already struggling. So it's just, it's an example of that. Yeah. And I think that's what the pandemic did was it separated off the businesses that probably weren't going to survive long-term anyway. And that sounds cruel, but coming from a, from a business background, um, that's, that's the truth though, is if they weren't able to survive and come up with ways to operate during that pandemic, chances are they probably weren't going to stick around for much longer anyway. Um, especially if their competitors in the same industry were finding ways to remain open. That's where I'll differentiate that. If it's, if it's like a matter of like an entire industry of businesses just couldn't make it, that's fucked up. Right. But like, if I own a bar and the bar down the street, you know, remains open, they figure out a way to deliver drinks to people. I don't know. That's probably not legal in most places. Um, they made it legal here. They actually did that. <laughs> we, there was uh, the city, the city of Kansas city actually started um, granting different bar licenses here so that you could take drinks to go as long as you purchased food with it. So what bars started doing was selling like a dollar bag of Fritos with the like margarita or with the beer or whatever. And no, it's, Great. I'm just like, that's wonderful that we figured that out because now you can just get a beer to go and um, you couldn't have done that before. So is because again, I love my time in uh, Kansas City. So is Charbar still good? It is still good. Yeah, that's where anytime somebody comes to visit here um, and believe it or not, I'm from Kansas City and I've lived in Kansas City most of my life. Um, I don't eat that much barbecue and it's probably just because it's available to me anytime I want it, but that's where I tell people to go who've never had barbecue before or never had Kansas City barbecue. I tell them to get the burnt ends. And right. I, did you have them there? Well, yeah, when we were there that time and with Johnny T and when I came in a day, oh, early, right. Right? Yeah. Yeah. you guys came and ate with us. Yep, exactly. We did. And yeah. uh, I loved it. That was wonderful. And then the other place, it actually like the last year I was there, it actually caught on fire and we had to be uh, escorted out of there it was the the chicken pickle what what's the what's that place the oh chicken yeah the the uh the pickleball place yes exactly I didn't know that caught on fire literally caught on fire and <laughs> one of one of my pals came down with me Kieran and he was on crutches uh because he tore his ACL and mm -hmm. he comes like out the door of this like thing on video skipping on his crutches and you could see oh my God. I must so. have left before that that was the year that all the stuff happened with I the sexual so harassment it was, it was 2019 2019 yeah. Year. Yeah. that was the year that all that happened and then they yeah. weren't going to have it again after that and no I think 2018 yeah. because the 2019 was the last one scheduled but it got canceled yeah. because of everything yeah so yeah. that was a gong show to say the least so oops yeah that was yeah, Fitness Summit had, I think it's run, it had run its course. I think so too. Um, but I, it, it kind of ties into something we're going to talk about. I have extraordinarily fond memories because it's where I've met an enormous array of industry friends across the industry. And, you know, just before we got on here, we were talking about who you know and how critical our relationships have been to some of our successes in the industry. So I want to just throw that one right out there. Go nuts with it. What your thoughts are on the importance of just the relationships you have in the industry. Absolutely. So um, I had, so what I had said when we were sort of just talking before was every major opportunity in my life that's come my way um, in terms of jobs or just anything that's benefited me, right. Has because has been because I knew somebody 
And that's not to say that I got this job because I knew the person that was hiring. I got the job because I was qualified, but I got the job because I knew somebody who was like, Hey, I know you and I want you for this job. Um, and you know, and that's jobs, that's like cool trips, that's like opportunities to go do some training or like getting to come on podcasts, right? Like we, we connected online and we knew each other online, but then meeting in person at the fitness summit, um, and talking that, I mean, when you get to meet somebody face to face and you sort of get to know what they're all about, it's hard to do that online, obviously, because our online personas are not necessarily who we really are. Um, but when you, when you meet somebody and you're like, oh man, this, this guy's pretty fucking cool. Right. Um, and then, so I've had so many opportunities like that. Like I got to write a chapter for a textbook, um, like a medical textbook on the gut microbiome, because I knew the wife of the, the doctor who was like writing and organizing the entire textbook. I mean, it's like a hundreds and hundreds of pages, maybe thousands. I don't know. Um, and his wife and I worked together. She was also a dietitian at a previous lab I worked at. And she would see me post all the time about gut microbiome, this and that. And she was like, Hey, I'd really like you to write this chapter. And I'm like, that is a massive compliment that somebody trusted me <laughs> to write a chapter in a textbook. And I actually still have it and everything. Um, but that's just an example of all of the things that like all of the connections that you make in life, those are all potential opportunities. All of the people that you meet. Um, I fully believe that everybody we meet is meant to cross our path. Um, sometimes they're there to teach us a lesson and they're not there to help us. And then other times they're there to push us in the right direction or to open a door and, um, this, and to segue slightly into another topic, growth mindset versus fixed mindset. If you operate under that growth mindset of, I always want to be better. I want to grow professionally, personally, spiritually, emotionally, like whatever your, your goal is, your trajectory um, those people that are pushing you in a certain direction or opening those doors for you, I've learned, um, to just go along with it. Like, just say yes, like take that opportunity because so many cool things have happened to me and so many great things have come my way by just being open and being like, sure, cool. I'll, I'll, I'll do that. I'll write that book chapter. Right. Yeah. I I've had some similar experiences with that. I think about, just connecting with so many people. Again, a lot of it really started with Kansas City Fitness Summit and in meeting mm -hmm. a lot of people, um, met a lot of the presenters who were T-Nation writers, which then mm -hmm. you know connect more and more people online, which led to connecting with Danny Sugart, who's one of the uh, the editors at T-Nation, yeah. which turned around into Danny plugging into my work and then all of a sudden asking me, all right, can, you know, would you come write for us? She was so, so terrified I'd say no, right? So I've been ready for those guys over two years. And then yeah. my trip to the Kansas City Fitness Summit where I got to know you more because I remember you know you for the first one we didn't really interact much and then I met Jonathan Goodman who's down there so met Jonathan been follow following his stuff for a really long time through the personal training development center and he used to keep an eye on what I was doing and eventually he turned around and asked me if I would write a portion like it's a nine page section it's not a full chapter of one of his books so that's that's really that was super awesome and then John and I, based off a social media post I had, he really liked the concept. It was about getting kids in gyms. So we discussed mm -hmm. the idea of me writing an article for the PTDC. So now I am an open-ended, I'll write some more stuff for those guys. And John also asked about my writing ambitions and things that I was interested in. And mm -hmm. so he turned around and connected me with the editor of a very, very big fitness website that has not yet been published. It's it's funny, my bio is up on the website, 
but my article has been published. I've been keeping it a big secret from everybody until it's official, uh, which hopefully is really soon. And that was something that Jonathan- Now I'm like running through in my head. I'm like, ooh, I wonder which website it is. It, and then through the either just like randomly, I get an email one day from a different website called Generation Iron, the guys who did the the, the remake concept of the original pumping iron with yeah. Arnold's classic from the 70s. So Arnold was in the, the 2013 one. They've since made two more. And so they reached out and they asked me to be a writer for that uh, website. So sure. So I've got something published on there. And I pulled a whole bunch of industry writers that I thought were really suitable. So I connected up with a bunch of my pals, people like Christian Thibodeau and Brian Cron, and we'll see if that all works out for all those guys. So it's also passing it on and, and trying to help out everybody where you can. It's, it, you know, not only we're talking about growth mindset versus fix, but, you know, you also think in terms of abundance mindset, right? Well, that too. So thank you for bringing that up. Um, I think a lot of us in this industry, and I'll still kind of quasi include myself in the fitness and health industry, um, I, I feel like I'm sitting more on the periphery now at this point in my career because I'm, I'm not doing a ton with it. Um, but we do tend to have this like weirdly competitive, um, like scarcity mindset. Like there's only a hundred people in the world and we all have to compete for those same hundred clients. And, um, that is by no means the truth. There are 8 billion people on this planet. And if you can't carve out your niche of, you know, 40 to 60 of them, depending on how much you charge and how many clients you want to handle. And I mean, to me, that's, it's so ridiculous. And it's almost like, um, it's almost like some of the writers in fitness and nutrition and health are, are like, I only want people to read my stuff. Right. And if someone reads someone else's stuff, they can't read mine too. And that's not the case because how many, how many consumers are, are consuming content from hundreds of different sources, right. All the time give a very specific example of what I like to say to coaches about sharing things on social media and you being worried that what you're sharing isn't original. There's no original ideas left. There really yeah. aren't. So it's just ways of articulating things. And mm -hmm. someone might think, well, you know, Sohi Lee or Jordan Syatt or, or Spencer Adolsky, some good examples of people with big followings who yeah. write a lot of everyday accessible basic concept stuff. And you're worried that, well, it's all been said before, therefore you're not going to say it. Well, first of all, maybe a teeny fraction of your followers follow mm -hmm. these people. Right. Instead, you're worried that, you know, you don't have the right to say it. Well, if anything, you're not serving the people who are plugged in, who see you as their right. go-to fitness professional. They want to see more from you. Maybe right. they saw it on Sohi's feed or even your feed six months ago, mm -hmm. but they were not in the place to change or to be ready to hear that message. Exactly. Maybe they're a brand new follower. There are a lot of reasons not to hold back from creating and sharing stuff. And even if it is a fairly basic concept in your own words that mm -hmm. you're afraid to share, honestly, you're better off sharing it. Well, and to that point, what we think is basic, think about the lay person, right? And this is something I learned the hard way as a brand new dietitian a long time ago was um, all of this like complex, complicated knowledge that we're all walking around with us professionals are walking around with in our heads. Um, the average person has about less than 1% of that, right? And the information they do have is usually horrible and it's flawed. It's like, it's like Dr. Oz quality stuff, right? And, um, or it's their best friend down the street did this pickle juice diet or something along those lines. And so 
even if we consider it basic, like, um, you know, Hey, if you're on a diet and you're hungry, try chewing ice cubes. We're sitting there going, duh, you know, who wouldn't do that? But like my mom wouldn't know that. Right. So share that information. You're right. Like it could be super basic, but you never know who is listening and watching and how much it might help them. Right. And in, think about the stages of, you know, people's interest in coming to even hire you as a coach, right? We're talking about pre-contemplative people who are seeing yeah. this message and maybe it takes repeating the same or similar message to get them to even contemplate the possibility. And it starts moving them along this road towards where mm -hmm. they decide, all right, I'm scared of the gym, but I trust this person. I'm ready to give it a shot. Yes. Yep. And if you are repeatedly, repeatedly putting out content that resonates with them, no matter how basic, that's all that matters, right? You don't, and, and this is where I think that a lot of, a lot of fit pros and a lot of the fitness and nutrition industry fails, um, is that they're putting out content for their colleagues and their peers. They want to compete with like, how smart am I? Um, can I, can I publish or more posts about the latest research? Can I be more evidence-based? Can I be, you know, but like those people are not your clients. They're never going to pay you. They're, they're never going to be your client. The people who are going to be your client are the people that are the general public in most cases, or maybe you're in a niche with athletes or something. But the point is, um, if you're posting to compete with your peers or to show your peers that you're worthy, nobody gives a shit. Literally nobody gives a shit. So, and it gets you zero business and probably some unfollows because you're arrogant and nobody likes that. <laughs> I'll give you several pieces of perspective. One is almost none of these like established high level industry leaders are going to be following most of you anyway. So, right. and if they no. do, it means that they probably like you. Mm -hmm. I am not interested in trying to, I'll use Mike Isertel example because it's really relevant here. I am not trying to write shit that I think is going to impress Mike's PhD level mind. Right. Instead, I'm writing shit for everybody else. And you know what keeps happening? Mike keeps sharing my shit on his wall, not just in his story, but on mm -hmm. his wall, which has driven thousands of followers my way. Because that's whatever great. I'm writing, he thinks, hey, that's really good. I'm going to mm -hmm. go share that. So if anything, people like him and Jordan Syed and whoever else are far more likely to share your stuff if you're doing a really good job of speaking to the end user, which mm -hmm. is what those people are good at, right? Look at Lane Norton. I mean, Lane is, is bombastic and he's got his style, but Lane is still pretty damn good at creating information that is usable by the type of person he's trying to help and reach and attract. You know, one of the hardest skills to hone in this industry is to take something very complex and boil it down to something very simple and easy to understand. And if you can do that well, you will succeed and flourish. And it's regardless of whether you're a coach or personal trainer or nutritionist, dietitian, it doesn't matter. And I've seen this um, in my own career, learning um, short story, basically, right? Like how do I take this really complex information that the laboratory scientists who are like, you know, bioengineers who came up with this lab test to understand all the instrumentation and all of the things that they went through. How do I take that and boil it down to two sentences that like Susie Smith in Ohio is going to understand why she needs this. Right. Um, and it's every bit sales and marketing, but if you are in this business, you had better be doing sales and marketing. And that's what you're doing when you take that information and you make it very simple. That's a, that's the way to sell and market yourself 
to somebody who understands it. Like the average consumer probably is only at a sixth to eighth grade reading and comprehension level, not to say they're stupid. It's more just like, that's the level of like verbiage and understanding that they have of these complex concepts. And if you can't make it that simple, if you can't reduce it to, you know, a sentence or two that they can digest pun intended, um, you're not going to do well. Right. And that's, and that's a credit to your skill and ability, Andrew, if people who are well-known and well-respected are recognizing that you can do that, um, more power to you because not everybody can. And I think that if you look around at most of the really successful, prominent people in our industry, especially the ones who built social media following, mm -hmm. they're often extremely good examples of people who take the research-based high-level stuff and translate it into the everyday user. Again, Sohee Lee is fantastic at it. Jordan Syed is fantastic at it. Dr. Spencer Adolski is fantastic at this stuff. And there's plenty of other examples. So I think what they're doing is what you should try to emulate and not necessarily, you know, a technician like, you know, an Eric Cressy or a Stu McGill who happen to be very popular in industry, but mm -hmm. they're not marketing their work to the everyday user. No, no. And I mean, honestly, that's a skill that I look for when I hire, um, when I hire for my own, you know, marketing team at the laboratory, one of the things I look for is, can this person simplify something that's complex um, and, and put it into written form? I mean, I, yes, they need to be understand, you know, be able to understand something, you know, clinically complex, but I want them to be able to explain it to somebody who does not understand it. Um, and that's, that's key. Like I can teach them all kinds of other things, but if they can't do that, they're not going to do very well. Um, and if you are a solopreneur of any kind, if you're out there on your own or you're out there selling yourself for, um, your services or products, you have to be able to, like, if you're, I think of it this way, if you are stuck in an elevator with an investor or the CEO of a company or something like that, and you have 30 seconds to describe what you do. It's that 30 second elevator pitch. And that's what every single bit of content we put out there should really be that 30 second elevator pitch, right? What do I need you to know right now? What's the bottom line? And that's, that's where we are right now with social media and marketing um, is, and if we're not adapting to that, you know, we aren't gonna have that following. Well, let's take that concept further because you mentioned sales and marketing a few times now. If you're one of those fitness professionals who is determined to put your nose in technical textbooks. And I, I mentioned this a little bit on my, on the last podcast and you are scared of sales and intimidated by the sales process. Right. And you believe that doubling down on, on technical know-how, which it's essential is somehow the way that you will be successful in business. Mm -hmm. You're maybe improving by, you know, half a percent with a lot of effort, something that is already pretty good. Whereas mm -hmm. a massive deficit in your, storytelling ability, your, yep. your comfort in the sales realm, you know, understand the psychology of sales, a book like influence by Robert Cialdini, for example, would be a good read. That's where just reading a couple of books would create a massive improvement in a critical weakness that you possess in your career. The ability to sell yourself both through your media and with the person in front of you is essential to your long-term success in the career. And at some point, you just got to get over this like discomfort with sales. I remember being uncomfortable with sales early in my career, but I think part of the problem is we have this completely upside down idea of what sales is. We tend to think yeah. in terms of traditional sales careers that often tend to be pushy or sleazy or whatever the stereotypical car salesman or electronic yeah. salesperson. 
when in fact we have the privilege to help spend time with people to improve their quality of life. Mm-hmm. That shit sells itself. It does. So the only thing that's standing in your way is you and these ideas that you have in your head about why sales are bad. Right. Which is again, fixed mindset versus growth mindset. Um, but also I would point out that, so we're all selling ourselves all the time, right? All the time. It doesn't matter if we're in a job that we don't think is sales. It doesn't matter if it's to just some random person. It doesn't matter. Like whatever we're trying to do, we're selling ourselves in some way. We're trying to convince another person to do something for us or to give us something. Right. Um, and if you, you know, and I get it like, introvert, extrovert, or personalities, you know, that kind of thing. Like, trust me, like, I don't like people that much, believe it or not, I'm an, an introvert. Um, but I can, I've still developed the ability to have a conversation and tell somebody authentically what it is I do, what I can do for them and put the ball in their court. Right. And if you think about it in this industry, nine times out of 10, the person you're talking to has come to you, right? They've contacted you to help them get fitter or to change something about their life. Most of the time, you're not cold calling people randomly to be personal training clients, for instance. Um, So somebody has contacted us and said, I want your help, or I got your information for somebody. And that sales process is yes, you are selling them, but also you're explaining how you provide value. That's how I look at it. Like, here's what I can do for you. Here's what I think is going on. Um, This is what it costs. This is how the process works. What do you think? You know, and, and if they're not ready, they're not ready. Like I, I hate pushy salespeople. I don't do that. Um, You know, that's, that's my situations, maybe a little bit more, you know, different than somebody who works in a gym or something like that. Like we're all a little bit different situation, but um, yeah, you have to be able to sell. I look at what you just said as playing the long game with everything that you do, you know, your personal integrity and every interaction we have with people and not seeing the person in front of you as a potential dollar sign. Oh yeah. The right person for the other, the right thing for the other person. And eventually what that'll lead to is more and more people directing referrals to you based off of your reputation. Mm-hmm. And then you have people who are basically walking in pre-sold. It's, it's, incumbent upon you not to fuck it up when that person's in front of you basically looking to give you money but in the long run you don't even need to do anything like aggressively breaking down objections and I think there are arguments and merits to being able to recognize legitimate objections where you can turn them into opportunities but I tend to be more like what you said and if I don't have someone who's really interested in front of me then I'm not interested in pushing them no it is know that that person is going to be way more work. They're going to drain you. You're going to resent having to work with them because they're not ready and they're not committed. So why push that person into a contract or even just like a month or two of personal training, if they're really not ready for it and they're not interested, um, you are wasting your time as much as you're wasting their time and money. Totally. There is a worthwhile aspect of that to also consider. If you have someone who is perhaps on the wrong track, maybe they're impulsive, maybe they're trying to find an outlet for fitness and nutrition. And if you don't do a good job selling them, there's a very real possibility they will walk into another fitness facility on impulse, get sold by someone who's very skilled at sales. And they could potentially have a 
mediocre experience. Now we can't be responsible for everything else that goes on in the industry. But I do remind some trainers in part, just to get them comfortable with asking for the business. Mm -hmm. If you let the person walk out the door who wanted to buy from you and is ready because you were afraid to ask for the sale, they're probably going to land in the hands of someone else who doesn't have your skill, your integrity, and that Mm -hmm. person's best interest at heart. So it's good to be able to recognize who's ready and who's not, who will be a good client for you versus not. You're not under any obligation to take on somebody who is going to create a lot of stress and be demanding to the point that you resent them. And I like you point that out. If there's another thing, if you undercharge for the value of your time, you risk resenting your clients. You never want to yes. resent your clients ever. Yes. It's an awful thing to feel. Mm-hmm. And so it, 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 t- it comes with experience recognizing, is this person the right fit? Is this someone who has a genuine objection that you really want to be able to respond to? Or is this someone that you should say, this, this isn't a good fit for me. And even then maybe you can refer them to someone else who'd be better. Yep. Yeah. And that's the thing too, is I think a lot of, a lot of people in the industry are afraid to turn away a client. That's not a good fit. Um, and we've all had those like from the beginning, we're just like, yeah, this, I don't, I really don't mesh with this person. I don't know what it is about them. Um, but I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. And and when you're new, you kind of do have to take those clients because you're trying to build up a reputation. You're trying to get yourself going and you might have to suck it up. Um, but once you've been in the industry for a while, you can tell right off who's going to work and who's not. Um, and you have to be prepared to fire clients. And I'll tell you what, your clients will respect you 10 times more if you're somebody who's willing to fire them. Um, and it can be for many different reasons. Maybe it's just like, they're just not compliant. They're not doing anything you're asking them to do, or maybe it's personality differences. You feel like they would respond better to someone else, right? There could be lots of reasons why. And, you know, and I've done it over the years, I have no problem firing clients. Um, you probably have to, it drains you. It takes away your energy from someone else who, who could use it. And that is going to be more willing to receive it. That's essentially it right there. The book, um, book yourself solid by Michael Port goes extensively yeah. into it. He uses the phrase dump your duds. And he quickly, even himself acknowledges that that's not a great way of looking at it. It's just a catchy thing to remember it to yeah. this point. And just as you said, if you have somebody and I've had these clients in the past, not many, but who is taxing really deeply taxing on your emotional energy yeah. who is perhaps unreliable, who doesn't respect your time, uh, who is making unreasonable demands of your time, then yep. the stress of dealing with them bleeds into your emotional energy for everybody else you deal with. Yep. And not, I'm, I'm extroverted, so I tend to handle this better than introverts. Introverts damn well know what I'm talking about. Like, you guys have to guard this shit, yep. like, your life. A little bubble around me. <laughs> so, even for me, it gets to the point where, you know, I'm recently, and this is not all the time, my historical appointment average a week is 35 to 40 appointments per week for 10 years not just a one week but recently i've been about 50 appointments a week which is a lot yeah and i don't have much room for error if someone in my world again forgive the renos going on downstairs if you guys can hear it uh, is is bleeding off a lot of my emotional energy mm-hmm. i have come to points where i had a it was a couple of years ago and honestly that's still late in my career where i had a cluster of clients who were all unreliable caused me stress. A couple were like always paying late, sort of aggravating. Mm-hmm. And then I all just sort of let them all go. 
at the same time. And yeah. I was a little nervous, but I was continuing to do all the other things that I do to attract referrals when you can't just like predict when they're just going to show up at your door. And then very quickly, a lot of referrals came in and everybody was pretty great. And then one wasn't a good fit. So I let that client go. And over time, I've prioritized the people who fit my emotional energy and don't tax it. And yeah. if you've got someone, and honestly, here's one of the big red flags. If someone is tr always trying to negotiate rate with you and price with you, I promise oh you that God. person is going to be a gigantic pain in your ass. I've never had that happen. I, luckily, I'm very upfront about what my rates are. I've never had that happen. Um, my big red flag is if they constantly question your recommendations. And I don't mean like asking you, why did you recommend this? That's totally fine. I'll explain to you all day long. And I do try to do that. Explain like I'm recommending this particular supplement because this, um, but like the, the most recent client or patient that I fired, um, I let this go on much longer than I should have. And it wasn't even worth the money. Like, I don't even know why I, maybe I felt bad for her, but she, uh, her deal was, is like, as soon as we sort of figured out part of what was going wrong with her, like with lab testing and stuff, she immediately went and joined a bunch of Facebook groups for people who have those conditions. And Hey, Sarah, I mean, she'd text me all day long, every day, um, which is fine. I don't put limits around text messages for patients that are checking in, but, um, hers were excessive and it would be, I'm in this Facebook group for patients who have X, Y, Z. And like a bunch of these people are taking this supplement. Do you think I should take it too? And I would explain, no, the reason why I didn't recommend that is because you're on these medications. It's going to interact. She's like, well, I bought some, how much should I take? Don't take it. And it would, I mean, I, and I'm not kidding you. Like this went on for months, months and months. And then she would just not follow any of the recommendations that I made. She didn't get any better. And then we'd have our phone calls. I would dread getting on the phone with her and it would be a 30 minute phone call and it would ruin my day, like absolutely ruin my entire day because nothing would come of it. And she just got, she was just stuck and she wouldn't make changes. And it, again, fixed mindset, growth mindset was part of it. Um, but eventually I was just like, you know what? I'm going to refer you to a doctor locally. Cause she was also seeing like three different providers and none of the information was flowing between any of them. They all had her on different medications. And then I'm sitting here telling her like, some of your medications are causing some of the problems you're coming to me for. So like, this is really an issue that you should be addressing with someone else. And she just, it, yeah. So no, that those situations where you've got a client and this can, in the personal training world, this could very simply be, um, you know, Mrs. Jones has a doctor who's telling her she should be training another way. And then she comes to you and she's like, well, Andrew, how come you don't have me training this way? Right. Um, or they question because they see so-and-so's video online or they're in a Facebook. I hate Facebook groups for that reason is they're like, they're a bunch of rando strangers telling each other what to do. <laughs> they're taking that guidance as like golden health rules. Right. And yeah, I have a trouble with Facebook groups too. I actually was talking with uh, my friend, Alan Bacon on here who runs a really good uh, group, but he's a very intelligent. He's one of the few guests I've ever had. who's quite literally prepared research and he's quoting and citing research on air. He's very articulate, oh, wow. very, very cool. So, you know, he knows what he's talking about and he runs a really good group, but there are other Facebook groups out there. And what I tend to notice is there'll be a handful of people who are posting a lot. I'm not going to name the group, but they're in that group. There's one guy and this guy is just straight up, uh, you know, insecure, narcissistic, just needs a lot of attention. He was always posting him ego lifting and video. And I had to unplugged from this group a couple of years ago because this one guy was driving me crazy but you get a handful of people who just all of a sudden they're in the group 
and they're not, you know, respected fitness authority, or they don't have any education, but this mm-hmm. is their opportunity to all of a sudden be the advice provider. And they, yeah. they need to be that alpha personality in the group. Mm-hmm. So that stuff's not for me. Plus for me personally, Facebook groups are a very time consuming that I'm not interested in going near. I think they can be wonderful. And, and again, me and Alan had a really detailed conversation about using them and the benefits. Yeah. So if anyone listening wants to talk about, listen to that, go back to that episode. It's recent. It's phenomenal of how to utilize Facebook groups to your advantage to get yourself established as a coach. If you're newer and trying to build up clientele and you have the time, there's a lot of good there. But if yeah. you're really establishing, you're setting boundaries on your time for productivity and to take care of your clients, plus have your own personal space. I think stay the fuck out of them unless you're the one in control and can use it to your. I canceled my Facebook account over a year ago and it was probably one of the best decisions I've ever made is getting completely away from Facebook. The whole platform is toxic. I mean, social media in general kind of is Um, Facebook for whatever reason, the way that it works and their algorithms, uh, it just, it, it was becoming such a time drain. And it, and it goes back to the point earlier we made at the beginning about the whole outrage porn. And that's really all it was, was just people being outraged over. And not to say that some of those topics aren't worthy of outrage because they are. Yeah. Um, but when that's constantly all you see all day long, um, it, gets, it gets old and you start to become desensitized to the things that you should find outrage over. You're just like, oh, another police officer murdered another person you and it's bad that shouldn't happen and so you that shouldn't happen but it also shouldn't happen that you become desensitized to it because you see it constantly all the time um and so for many reasons i've closed my facebook account but um yeah it's been the best thing i've ever done and you know there's something to that too um a, I think unfollow people mercilessly. Don't have to delete them as yeah. friends, unfollow people. I usually yeah. put, anytime there's any sort of election, anybody who is prone to a lot of election related stuff, they get a 30 day snooze right in that 100%. window. They're, they're out. And there will be people who will say, will be very enraged at the thought that, you know, any sense that, oh, ignore the news because the news is just negative, terrible, whatever. Or if you don't use your platform, I occasionally get this because I'm very apolitical and I don't touch social stuff on my, on my social media. And then I get accused of, you know, quote, being privileged or, you know, having the privilege to be able to do that. And that's, that's a giant crock of bullshit. That is a, a guilt trip. That is a shame. That's an attempt to bully and shame you into doing what this person ideologically wants you to do. And right. you are not, no one is entitled to, damage your, you know, emotional well-being or, or, you know, your calm by pushing their stuff onto you. You know, you, we don't know what someone else is dealing with in their personal life. And so I, I completely reject this notion that we're all supposed to participate in outrage culture on social media and pat ourselves on the back because we made a social media post and then did nothing else about it. I believe well, to that point, what you post on social media has almost zero impact on actual change. Right. I think, I think that people are misled into thinking that by posting about a certain candidate, that counts as a vote for that candidate instead of actually physically going to the polls and voting for that person. Um, so I'll make the point that I kind of don't give a shit if somebody on social media posts to support a particular cause. It doesn't, it tells me what their politics are but it doesn't mean anything. It honestly doesn't. It doesn't generate money for that organization. Um, It's not volunteer hours. It's not going out and running for office and changing things themselves. 
none of the things that actually change our society for the better involve making a social media post. They don't, it doesn't make a difference. Um, and, I, and people will get mad at me and argue about this, but tell, show me one example where somebody got mad and posted on social media and it genuinely generated some sort of major social change in like people that we've elected. And I mean, that's, yes, you can start grassroots campaigns and you can do things like that. But like, to your point, those people who are constantly just posting political stuff and campaign stuff, um, most of those people spend so much time doing that, that they're not actually doing anything to foster change in real life. Because remember, social media is not real life. At all. They're giving themselves a big pat on the back for a job well done. I'm a big right. believer in, in two concepts. One is how you treat people and make the world around you better every day is mm -hmm. one of the most important things you can do. And that doesn't always get shown on social media. Right. And so losing my train of thought here a little bit, but you know, I, I think that encapsulates it essentially, right? I am more concerned with what someone does. Oh, I know what it was going to be. In our industry, for the most part, I believe that the best way we can make the world a better place is to serve people, to make them healthier, to yeah. help people's physical and emotional health and well-being, and educate them and be a positive source of information that supports them and makes their world better. And that can cascade outward. And mm -hmm. if anybody you know, tries to demand that, no, you need to have an opinion about this social issue, it's like, no. And the person who is trying to force me to have a vocal opinion about something probably isn't a supporter, probably isn't a client, and probably doesn't have my well-being or my client's well-being as their, their interest. They're only interested in, in manipulating me to their ends. And I reject that outright. Right. I'll make a, a point about that. And so this is actually something that happened recently. Um, so the vaccine, right? The COVID vaccine. Um, I work in healthcare. I fully support the vaccine. If you're not getting the vaccine for any other reason other than you have a health-related condition that prevents you from getting it, um, at this point, you're being willfully ignorant, okay? And it's fine if you wanna interpret that politically, a, a global pandemic should never have been politicized in the first place, nor should a vaccine. Um, there's at least four people that I can count that I have personally had conversations with who were incredibly anti-vaccine. They came to me, we talked about it, and they then went and got their first dose. And I'm not going to pat myself on the back by changing their mind. I'm simply just saying that I've never once posted on my social media about, oh, I got the vaccine. I'm fully vaccinated, right? I have my vaccine card. I don't care if you know that about me. And I don't care if anybody understands my politics around that. Um, but to me, it's more impactful if I did my job um, by telling these people and explaining to them how mRNA vaccines work, right? And how safe this is and how you know, the reaction that we have is not because of the vaccine, it's our immune system being primed to deal with this virus. And so explaining the whole process, but in a way that's non-confrontational, right? Instead of sitting there and going, oh my God, you're so fucking stupid. Why don't you just get this vaccine? Which I kind of sort of did at first where I was like, well, you're being willfully ignorant. So I apologize. Um, but, you know, that's a great example of my small sphere of influence of just like people that know me and trust me um, and that trust the information that I have were willing to listen to me and change their mind because I was able to explain to them, this is what it is, right? And so how many of those people then, like what's the six degrees of Kevin Bacon on that, right? Where every single one of those four people then goes and tells four people, maybe because of me 
an additional hundred people get vaccinated that weren't going to, right? And that's, you know, out of every, I want to say the statistics is out of every hundred people we vaccinate, we save one life or two lives or something like that, or three, maybe it's the, it's maybe it's 3% now. There's a few key aspects to that. And then we'll have to leave off from here with time. One is you have expertise and scope within that realm more than most fitness professionals, right? Um, it is a bit of a pet peeve of mine when I see fitness professionals, either end of the spectrum, talking extensively about vaccines. It's right. outside their scope, right? I get it. Um, and yeah, it tends to reveal politics a little bit, which is a really unfortunate aspect of it. But yeah. I find that I don't think a lot of these people are changing minds. No. So I, I rely on already created. When, when Spencer Adolsky talks about them, the guy's a doctor, right? He's, he's involved in public health. So he's got scope there. I believe that a lot of emerging fitness professionals who are just determined to beat that drum are probably doing themselves more harm than good and not really changing a lot of minds. And I still right. think they're better off serving the general population. I have never and will never post about vaccines on my social media, but I will mm -hmm. say this, I will be vaccinated. Uh, when I have my opportunity and it is, you'll never see a trace of it on my social media because I yeah. just go there. Right. Yeah. And then, I mean, same thing. I don't care if anybody knows that I'm vaccinated, but I'm also not doing it to make a political statement. Um, I mean, I do, I do get somewhat political just being a feminist myself, like on my feed. Um, but I also post all kinds of other really random weird shit. So if anybody happens to follow me because of this podcast, I'm, I'm not going to apologize for what you find. <laughs> on my Instagram. <laughs> oh, let's, let's give people your Instagram because it's fun. It's like, it's, you got a fun handle. So if anybody wants to go check out more of what you're doing, where do they find you? Um, yeah. So I'm on Instagram and obviously I'm no longer on Facebook. Um, I think you can actually type in Sarah Ashman and it will pull me up, but my actual Instagram handle is whiskey underscore, witch, and whiskey is spelled W H I S K Y. Um, underscore and which is spelled W Y T C H. Yeah. You can, anybody can find you as someone that I follow and who follows me as well. If you're searching, if you're on my yeah. media, well, yeah. we had something else in, you know, entirely planned, but this actually turned yeah. into a really fun discussion about all these things that we did. So yeah. uh, I'll leave off here. If anybody is interested in a lot of gut health, gut microbiome stuff, you're one of my two go-to people in the industry for that. The other is Dr. Gabrielle Fundaro as part of Renaissance Periodization. Yeah. And, uh, you know, so if anybody has any questions about that, please go follow on Instagram and, uh, you know, hit you up. And, uh, you know, Sarah is a really wonderful resource in this space. I appreciate the fact that you took the time on, uh, I guess, Friday afternoon to come and talk to me. Yeah. Absolutely. Thanks for having me, Andrew. It was great to be back. Great. And I, I love this because it gets me a chance to connect with friends, especially where I haven't been able to travel for the last probably, God, it's going to be a year and a half at the very least before this ends. And one of my hopes is... <laughs> you know, I'll, I'll get in the vaccine thing. I intend to get it in part due to the fact that I want to be able to travel to the U.S. and not have to quarantine for two weeks. I'm kind of hoping yeah. that we'll have some easing of those restrictions and I can come down to see you present at, uh, at Tim's Inland Empire Fitness Conference. Yeah. Is planned for this year for August. Yep. And, um, and, and then I've got Luca Hosevar's event in September in uh, just outside of Seattle. I would like to be able to attend those. And for me, it's yeah. not a hill to die on, uh, you know, this whole passport thing that gets everybody, you know, angry. I'm not even going there, not touching it, but I, I just want to come in uh, and see everybody and hopefully start to get back to the way things were, but capitalize mm -hmm. on the, the good stuff that's happened over the last year and a half for all of us. Yeah. So thanks hopefully. for, 
Thank you. Yeah, we'll, we'll see how it works out. Um, yeah. anyway, thanks again. I appreciate your time. Thanks for everyone listening. Uh, you know, if you're not following me on social media, I'm still trying to get you guys to do that at Andrew Coates Fitness. And then message me if you ever have any questions, please. And, uh, you know, if you just happen to have found this podcast through Sarah's social media, well, you know, you can go back to, you know, Sarah's previous appearances or anybody else that you might be really interested in who you follow in the industry. I, I probably interviewed them. There's 185 total episodes in the grand scheme of things going back into the old ones. So go look, you'll find Dr. John Berardi and Krista Scott Dixon and a lot of other really cool people. So thanks again and uh, stay tuned for next week.